What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Lefstetz Podcast. My guest today is the one and only Donnie Osmond. Donnie, good to have you here. Nice to be with you, Bob. Okay, you have a new album entitled Start Again. Yes. Why record a new album now? Well, why stop at 64? <laughs> I'm actually, you know, uh, there's that side of it, but the music business has changed dramatically since you had your first hits about 50 years ago. Yeah. I was certainly conscious. Sounds like a big you know, chunk of time, but we were all here, where there were a limited number of labels. If you got on the radio, everybody knew you. Now you could be a very famous name, put out a new record, and no one can be aware of it. That's sort of the landscape. So did that affect your thinking? How did you decide to actually make the record? Before I answer that, I just have to go back and say, I have that situation going on in my career right now as well, because I'm the the singing voice of Captain Shang in the Disney movie Mulan. And it streams millions uh, every month. And a lot of people don't know it's me. And when I do my show in Vegas, this happened just the other night. This this 18-year-old aspiring singer um, came to the show. She said, uh, I, I heard that you were Captain Shang in Mulan, but I thought, you know, this isn't my kind of show. This is for the old, far- old farts, you know, it's whatever. And, and I, I'll, I'll watch Mulan and then I'll leave. And... She said, I couldn't leave because not just the production, but the music um, is stuff that I listen to. And that kind of answers your question, why 65 albums? It's because I'm reinventing. And a lot of people don't know my voice as Captain Shang. And when they discover uh, the new music, they say, whoa, this is cool. And then they hear they go, wait, little girl and puppy love stuff. And say, what is that? And then they start realizing, yeah, I've had a six decade career. Okay, so I know that you did The Voice of Mulan because I saw it on Spotify and I listened to it. Does the average, I'll say the movie's unbelievably successful. Do you find that people know that it is you? 
Well, that's just the thing. It depends on the the age. It depends on or the, the demographic. I mean, it depends on if they're an avid Donny Osmond follower for years. Um, they know it because uh, I've talked about it on my social and stuff like that. But by and large, every t- every once in a while, I'll come up uh, with somebody and they'll say, you got to be kidding me. You're Captain Chang. <laughs> and I, I get a kick out of it, actually, because it's the same feeling I got when I was the first mass singer on the show, The Mass Singer. I, I, I was the first one. And I walked out there, Bob, with this mask on. And it was such a cool feeling because there was no baggage. There was no expectations. There was no history. It was just my singing and my entertaining and, and, and what I did on stage. So it was a reset almost. And uh, I almost won. T-Pain got it from me, but uh, uh, it was the, it's the same feeling. It's like, wow, you are that person? I didn't know. How did you get the gig with Mulan? Uh, Dina Katz is the, um, she's, she books the talents. And Dina booked me on Dancing with the Stars, which I won on season nine. And Dina called me up and said, you know, you're, you're my first call. Um, I'd like you to, uh, to be this, the mass singer, the first mass singer. So I called my manager, Jim Mori, who I think you know. Uh, I know Jim. Yeah. So I said, Jim, I need you to call your friends at Fox. I want you to find out if this show is real. He called me back the next day. He says, Donnie, this is really real. They got millions of dollars behind it. So I called Dina back and I said, Dina, book me because I got the joke, Bob. I knew if there was money behind this show, it's going to work. And um, I remember walking out. Now, keep in mind, Bob, nobody in the audience, the panel didn't know who I was. The audience didn't know. There were only probably three people in the booth that knew who I was. President Fox, the director, Dina, and maybe one more. So I walk out there and everybody's like, what is going on? We're watching a peacock walk on stage. And uh, let me just backtrack a little bit. Before I walked on stage, the producers called me and said, Donnie, what song do you want to sing? And I said, well, it's got to be, this is the greatest show. It's got to start with that. So they called me back the next day and said, the publisher's not going to release it. And so why? He says, well, they don't get the show. It's a stupid show with masks and we got to protect our music. And I said, give me a day. So I found um, a minus track online and uh, I put my voice on it and sent it to the producers. And I said, walk this over to the publisher. And they said, well, they said no, but we'll do it. So they walk in and the publisher said, guys, look, I said, no, you can't have the song. And they said, just listen to this. And they played my version. And after it was over, he said, who is that? He says, we can't tell you. All we can say is going to be a peacock. He said, well, based upon what I heard, the song is yours. And I got it based on that. Just that. Because I love the fact they didn't know it was me. It was just going to be a peacock. Okay. The Milan gig. How did you get that gig? Pam Coates. She calls me up and said, you know, we're doing this movie called Mulan. And we'd like you to be the singing voice of Shang. And I said, I'd love to, but I'm doing a musical in, in Chicago right now. She said, what are your days off? I said, Sunday, Monday. Said, Can you fly into LA on Sunday, record it Monday, get back for your show on Tuesday? I said, I'd love to be part of a Disney film. Little did I know it'd become a classic. And they showed me a couple pencil drawings of Shang and one sequence where he gets hit in the stomach and said, pretend you're getting hit in the stomach. And I said, let's get down to business. And I just threw myself into it. And, uh, Little did I know it'd become one of the most <laughs> popular songs I've ever recorded. 
And uh, it was so cool to be a part of it. So it was Pam Coates. Did you know Pam previously? I didn't. Pam uh, and I don't think ever crossed paths. It was just a wild hair idea of hers. You know, I love his voice. I guess, it, you know, I guess she was a fan back in the puppy love days. And um, I guess they did some comparisons to B.D. Wong, who was the speaking voice. And there was some, you know, comparisons. And uh, she took a chance on me. I threw myself into the part and got it. Okay, you're telling the story of the Masked Singer, where you're aggressive. Aggressive got a bad connotation. Let's say proactive, okay? Uh, is that the history of your career? Are you making things happen? Are you waiting for the phone to ring? Are you waiting for the phone to ring and then becoming very active? How does it go down? This is why I love talking to you, because even Jim told me, he says, he's going to ask you questions you've never been asked. I love that question. And the it's yes and no. It depends on my age. Uh, the phone stopped ringing uh, after the Donnie and Marie show ended. Which we're putting out at like 1979, right? Just for 1979, listeners. exactly. Right. And my, my, I had no career. I couldn't even get arrested. I couldn't get a record deal, nothing. So the answer to your, the quick answer is, yeah, you got to be extremely proactive. If you want a, a long career, particularly when you start out as a teeny bopper, and you got this really squeaky clean image from Puppy Love and Go Away Little Girl and that stuff, which I, I'm not putting down anymore. It was great for the time, Bob. Uh, in fact, in my Vegas show here, I treat Puppy Love with respect. And, and I sing it right with a beautiful arrangement, the whole bit. Uh, do you also sing One Bad Apple? Oh, uh, I do One Bad Apple in its original form with the costumes and my four other male dancers. And we re recreate uh, One Bad Apple. But at the end of this, uh, not the end. We go into we go into this cool groove, and I sell, say to the audience, you know, I can't hit the high notes anymore. But I got on my TikTok account, and I asked, "Is there anybody out there that could sing it for me?" And I got flooded with all of these videos of kids singing my part. Learned the choreography as well, and we play that at the end of One Bad Apple. It's it's kind of a cool little thing. No, that's cool. But I have to ask. Were you TikTok savvy or your kid or somebody, you know, in passing? How, you know, how internet savvy, how social media savvy are you personally? Well, you're talking to someone who's, who's been an engineer all of his life. Uh, I'm, I engineer all my stuff. My, well, my I noticed that in the credits and you know, I was going to get to that, but keep going. But I, um, th that's my hobby, if you will. Uh, I've built a lot of things, the computer system. I've kind of designed the, the whole thing. I've got some great people that work with me, but I designed the whole computer system that runs this show. Uh, so uh, to answer your social media question, right from the get-go, can you imagine, Bob, what I could have done with TikTok and, and Instagram oh, yeah. during the puppy love days? I mean, can you imagine? Right. Uh, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm extremely social media savvy. So you're saying posting on social media, you personally are doing it or somebody on your team? No, I, I do it. I do it. I have somebody that helps me figure out and say, this is when you should post it. This is the time that works. This is the content. This is what is, is uh, current right now. This is what is, uh, people are, are trending with. Because uh, my life is so busy, I need, I need feedback. I need information. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's what I do. Uh, and then these people say, you got to do this, you got to do that. And this is what we recommend. Yeah, yada, yada. And then I'll go produce it and edit it myself and post it because I like to be involved 
in every single bit of what I do. Because there was a day, Bob, there was a day when I wasn't in control. And I vowed that someday when I grew up, I would take the reins because I look back at some of the songs that I recorded. And again, I've got to be careful here, Bob, that I don't put my earlier career down. But let's face it. There were some songs that I came out with that were just so sugary sweet that it left me with this really interesting image that I've spent a lifetime reinventing myself. It was fine for the time, but there were songs that were thrown at me, Bob, if you can believe this, thrown at me five minutes before I recorded it. They became gold records, but it's like, and here's the juxtaposition I was in as a, as a young teenager. I would be in, and this was in uh, at MGM Studios on Fairfax there, right there, Fairfax and Beverly. Um, I was in M2, Studio M2. They built us a Studio M3. So I was in M2 recording this bubblegum music. And then I would go to M3 with my brothers and record this rock and roll music. Because that was a whole other direction that we were taking. But my bubblegum music was overshadowing any rock and roll that we were doing, which is kind of a a catch-22, because if it's selling, if it's working, you keep feeding that, right? But it overshadowed everything that we were doing as a band in, in a rock and roll sense. Okay. To what degree was Mike Curb, the la- the guy who ran the label, hands-on? Hands-on. All my early hits, Puppy Love, Go Away, Little Girl, um, you name it, all those albums. He was the one that that really selected a lot of those songs, and I have him to thank for all that he's done. And there were songs that he threw at me I really didn't like, but, you know, we were trying to fill up an album. In 72, I had released four albums in one year, two with my brothers and two as a solo artist. You're in the studio constantly, let alone out on tour. I didn't have time to even think. So Mike would would give me songs to record that he thought would play into this this whole Donny Osmond image that was the little prepubescent teenager girls we're buying into, and I was safe because the parents said, he's safe, let's buy it. So that was the mentality of my curb at the time. Okay. So let's talk. So you're working in Vegas now at, Har- at Harrow's. What, what kind of deal do you have there with Harrow's now? It's a long-term deal, but there's options, obviously, on both sides. But, uh, I mean, it could go on and on. I mean, the Donnie and Marie thing, was supposed to be six weeks and it ended up being 11 years. So why did the Donnie and Marie thing end? It was time. Marie and I felt that, um, Marie, I think wanted to go a little bit longer. She wanted to go to 12 years and maybe break a record or something. And I thought, no, I think I'm done. And she said, yeah, I think we're done. And it's a good thing we did because it's almost like we knew the COVID thing was coming because as soon as we stopped, COVID hit, we would have stopped anyway. Okay. So you're that was at the Flamingo, right? That's correct. And now you're at Harrow's. Yeah. Why one casino as opposed to another? I didn't want to try to look like I was recreating um, the, uh, the Donnie and Marie success. Um, I wanted something different. Because when you reinvent yourself, I, I don't like to rest on my laurels. So I didn't want people to think we're coming back and, oh, where's Marie? Because this show has nothing to do with what we did as Donnie and Marie. Donnie and Marie is just one part of my career, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was 11 
great years working with my sister, but now we've gone on. She's doing her thing. I'm doing my thing. But when I designed this show, I wanted it to be all inclusive, Bob. I wanted it to be everything right from the beginning uh, to what I'm doing now. And I had this idea, Raj Kapoor, I don't know if that name means anything to you. He's, he's like the go-to guy. He, he, he directs and produces the, the Grammys and uh, the, the, the Oscars. The, I mean, he's just the most creative man you can imagine. And I called him up. I said, Raj, we're trying to fit six decades into 90 minutes. What do you think of this idea? It's a little crazy. What if I did a rap? And he said, excuse me? I said, I did a rap about my entire life. He said, it's brilliant. It's like Hamilton. I said, exactly. And, and I start out, you know, it all began back in Utah. I was four years old, started singing with my brothers and the sound was like gold. So my folks took a leap and said, what the hey, we got to get these monsters out to California. And it gets faster and faster and faster. It turned out to be almost a 10 minute rap. And by the time it's over, it's everybody's like, you've got to be kidding me. You did all that stuff. And he, he said, this is going to work. And Keith Harrison, my music director, he's, he's an alien. He's just so talented. He was the main man that put all this stuff together for me. I supplied all the product, uh, the, uh, the, the, the clips and things like that. And it's like one of the highlights of the show. It's gone viral on my social. People have videoed it. And when I start to introduce it, I can hear the audience say, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And we go into it. Okay, so obviously you wrote that. And on the new album, you co-wrote every track. Yeah. When did you start to write and what was your incentive? I started writing when I was a teenager, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't the, well, actually there were some good songs. I'm Sorry and I Fly Into the Wind. and Those were actually pretty good songs. I wrote that when I was around 18, something like that. But this goes back to what we're talking about earlier, Bob, about taking the reins. And I thought, if I'm going to be known as an artist, I can't be singing covers because that was the basis of all my success in the 70s. And Puppy Love, Too Young, all those songs were covers. If, I've got, if I'm going to gain some respect, I've got to write my music. And over the years, I would hone my efforts and my talents a little bit more, work on the lyrics. I started this album about three years ago. And I surrounded myself with some really, really good people. And, uh, but you know, they can't write it for you. You got to come up with the concept. And, um, so that's how it all began. I, I would come up with the concept, I'd come up with the groove. Uh, I wrote, uh, this song that we closed the show, let's all dance with, uh, Rance Dobson and Aunt Clemens. I mean, they're the furthest people you think Donny Osmond be working with. I mean, that, that's the Bruno Mars camp of, of the world, that type of stuff. And when I called him up, he said, yeah, this might be interesting. Um, and so we started. And I, I let's all dance tonight. And whatever. I just started coming up with sounds. Peter Gabriel taught me that. Uh, at the beginning of Sledgehammer. He said, And when he was involved in one of my albums as an executive producer, I, I said, Peter what are you singing at the beginning of Sledgehammer? And he said, nothing. It sounds. He said, that's the way I write. Whatever, it sounds good. So when Aunt Clemens came uh, aboard on Let's All Dance, he, sa he sang this one line, Love, right, 
another little dose. Hold up, shut up, but it's about to do. And I wrote all those sounds down. I said, left, left foot, right foot, magical dancing shoes. Let your, then I came up, let your body do what it wants to do. And all came from sounds. And that Peter Gabriel taught me how to do. And the, so that that's one way to write. That's the way I wrote Let's All Dance with, with Aunt Clemens and, and, and Rance Dobson. But when it came to a song like The Way You Are, which I wrote with Amy Watch, Amy wrote uh, Thinking Out Loud with Ed Sheeran. And she said, I met her just before COVID started. And she said, Donnie, I want to write a song with you. And I said, Amy, let me come up with the concept. I don't want you to write this. I, it's got to come from me. Took me six months. And one day, I was getting ready, and my wife is getting ready on her side of the bathroom. And I, the way you the way you I'm just making sounds. The way you pulled that dog that felt And it's, you know, the concept is the way you are is good enough for me. I pick up the phone. I said, Amy, I got it. The way you are, the way you know. And I produced that four different ways till I finally got it the way I like. But it all began with that lyric, the way you are. So it all depends on where you're headed with the song because it's all different the way you write. Okay, you talk about people a little out of your genre with a lot of success. How do you actually hook up with them? You call them directly, you get the phone number, you say, this is Donny Osmond, or you have your so-called, I'm doing my air quotes now, people contact them. No, I do it myself. I got to do it myself, Bob, because I, I don't know, I'm a little different in that respect. I don't play the star role. I don't do that because I get down in the gutter with everybody else. And I mean, you know, you just talk to anybody I've written with and they say, you actually do this. There's a, there's a song on the album called Don't Stop. And I'm in the booth with Rance and Blush and, and Seth Rieger on guitar. And, and, and we're coming up with this. It's such a great guru, groove. And we're just feeling it. And all of a sudden I said, stop, 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 stop. Rance, this, this song's got a problem. It needs a bridge. And he said, well, there's a piano out in the studio. Go write one. <laughs> Okay, so I go out there by myself and I sit down at the piano and I'm thinking, what would Stevie do? Because I'm such a Stevie fan. And I start playing these chords. Don't forget who you are, it's your moment. And I start playing these chords and Rance comes out and he says, what is that? And I said, it's our bridge. <laughs> and he said, come on in. And I play it on the, on the roads in the, in the, key, in the, uh, in the control room. And it just happened like that. Da -da -da -da, you are, it's, your moment. it's one of my favorite tracks. It's the second track on the album. Now, you mentioned the roads and in the credits, you have percussion credits, guitar credits. Yeah. You, what instruments do you play and how proficient are you? Well, I'm a keyboardist and that's what I do. I mean, I've tried a lot of instruments. I'm so uncoordinated when it comes to drums. I try guitar, but I'm a keyboard guy. So... I'll get into programming. Um, there's a lot of ways you can write a song. Uh, um, Splice.com is someplace where you can find some really cool grooves. And then you split, strip them apart and find sounds. And then you 
strip those apart and create new sounds, something that hasn't been heard before. And then you tr- just keep experimenting. Uh, in my booth here, I, uh, I just spend hours and hours and hours creating sounds, creating ideas. I wrote maybe over 40 songs for this album and narrowed it down to these 12. But I'll do something with those songs someday, but it's all about creating something that's different. And that goes back to your first question. Why do a 65th album? Because I love music. I mean, this is what I do. I like to create. I like to be an artist. I want to... Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Did you pay for the recording of the album? Or yeah. did you have a record deal in place? No, I, I paid for it. And then uh, and then BMG came in and heard it and said, oh, my goodness. I met with Thomas, and then he said, this could be your new home. I said, I'd love it. And then over time, we just got get, get we got closer and closer and closer. He said, we got to do this deal. We have to do this deal because the music is too good not to. So, Okay, obvious question. How would you meet and hang with Peter Gabriel? It was a kind of a fluke thing. It was a UNICEF concert in New York. And uh, we were both doing it. It was for a charitable thing. And I did my number. And then Peter did his number. And I just wanted to meet him. Because um, I love Shock the Monkey and all that stuff. I love those, those songs. I just wanted to meet him. And, and this is classic. Do you know Peter? I do not know him personally, no. This is classic Peter. He has a way of just looking through you, into your eyes, into your soul. And uh, he's, he asked me a question. What are you doing with your music? Because I, I really like your voice. I can't say I bought any of your records, but I think <laughs> you've got a great voice. And I, I told him the challenges of being Donny Osmond, and I couldn't get a record deal and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I'll tell you what, why don't you come over to my studio is when he had a studio called Ashcombe house before he built his big place uh, in what's called box and Ashcombe house is a barn. It's where he did shock the monkey and sledgehammer and all those things. And I was the last artist to perform there before he moved it over a little bit of trivia. 
But he said, tell you what, Donnie, I want you to come over to England and start cutting music. Just I have a producer, Georgia Cockney is his name, and just start cutting music. And I want to hear what, what you're doing because I love your voice. And I think you could reinvent yourself. Bob, it was a breath of fresh air to hear that because I was fighting like crazy just to be heard. I was singing demos for people, for Pete's sakes. So we went over there and um, and we released a, a few singles. But it wasn't until I met uh, Carl Sturkin and Evan Rogers and started recording in, in, uh, in New Jersey at a place called The Loft. I can't believe I remember that. They're the ones that, that pretty much found Rihanna and made her who she is today. But they're the ones that wrote Soldier of Love and produced it for me. So coupled with Peter Gabriel giving me some interesting credibility, people say, well, if Peter likes it, maybe I should listen. But nothing happened. I released four singles over in the UK on Virgin. They signed me as a favor to Peter. And I think Soldier got up to like 31 and, and then dropped off. And the other songs didn't do much. So I went home really discouraged, Bob. This is Christmas of 88, 1988. And there was a guy by the name of Lou Simon. He was a program director. And I got this, the record in his hands. And he said, this is a hit record, but there's one problem. It's you. <laughs> and then I went back to 1980, I think, three, before Michael released Thriller. And he said the same thing, because I said, Mike, how do I get back on the charts? He said, your name's Poison. I said, crap. I mean, can't people just listen to the music without getting my name in the way? And everybody said, no, you have an image problem. Quincy Jones signed me to Quest. And Ed Epstein, the president of the, of the label, got a call from one of his radio promotion guys out in the, in the field, because uh, Quincy was going to produce me as a no-name right? As a, as a mystery artist. Well, they all got cold feet because this radio promotion guy out in the field said, we don't know how to promote, promote Donny Osmond. He'll never get played. Kicked me off the label before we even got started. Um, so Peter said, let's just get started. And one thing led to another, got this record in Lou Simon's hands. He calls his friends all over the country, said, I got the ultimate promotional uh, campaign for you. It's a hit record. And it's going to be called The Mystery Artist. And then he'll come in and reveal who he is. I went to WPLJ in New York. And number one station, number one market, P1 station. They did the promotion. And my manager calls me. And he says, Donnie, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is you have a hit record. The bad news is nobody knows it's you. And PLJ wants you to fly in and, and reveal who this mystery artist is. Bob, I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to kill the requests. So I flew in anyway. They snuck me into the building. It was drive time. It's Friday morning. I'll never forget it. And they do the big drum roll. Mystery artist, who are you? And with a little trepidation, I said, I'm Donnie Osmond. Bob, the phone lines lit up. And it was just the opposite of what I thought would happen. Everybody came out of the closet, as it were, and said, I've been a fan of yours all the time. I said, yeah, right. Where were you in the lean years? <laughs> and then it just, one after another, one station after another, all across the country, I did the same thing, revealing a mystery artist. And Soldier of Love put me back on the charts. 
Okay, let's go back to today for a second. You have a deal with Heroes. How many uh, seats in that venue? It's uh, six and a half, six um, six fifty or something like that. To what degree do you feel a responsibility to fill the seats? Total, total. Because how do you act on that? Well, you're talking to a guy here that comes from the old school. I mean, I get out there and I promote. You can't expect, you know, yeah, you need a lot of people to get out there. It's the machine. You know this. You've been around the block yeah. a lot. It's the machine that you've got to get working. But the machine will quit if that machine realizes, well, the artist could care less. So I get out there. I promote like crazy. I'm, I'm traveling. I'm doing interviews. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I balance my life, obviously, because I've seen so many artists lose it because I don't balance. But if you're going to be an artist in this business, particularly one that wants a long career, you got to reinvent yourself, like I was saying earlier. And with reinvention comes hard work. I mean, I get this question all the time. Donnie, what do I do? I want to be in the business and I want to be an artist. Well, it's a four-letter word, buddy. It's called work. And you got to do it the old-fashioned way by promotion. Yes, you got social media, you get all that stuff, but get out there on the road and play every single gig you can possibly play. That'll give you experience, but it'll also get your name out there. And then once you hit, then the work really begins. And it gets harder and harder because now you have to prove yourself every time. And that's why I did a 65th album. I'm going back to that original question. <laughs> okay. So you have the 650 seats to sell. Yeah. To the degree you know or your perception, how many people are buying Donnie Osmond tickets and then flying to Vegas to see you? How many people are in Vegas say, I want to see a show. I can get tickets to Donnie Osmond. Oh, good question. I think uh, initially it's a large percentage. But lately we've been getting, getting a lot of walk-up. And the ticket sales, uh, the president of uh, entertainment of, of Caesars called me and said, Donnie, looks like we're on the trajectory for another huge hit because the advanced sales are great. And I saw this with the Donnie and Marie show. It's, it's, it's all a bell curve. Everything's a bell curve. So you get that initial inertia, I guess I'll call it, initial wave. And then, as with anything, the hype is over. And now, again, the work begins. But I have so much faith in this show that the word of mouth has become, not is become, but has become, and is becoming stronger, that it's an amazing show. It's not just for grandma and grandpa. Like this little 18-year-old girl I, I, I told you about a little while ago. She said, I had no idea. This is the kind of stuff I listen to. Because I'm a Charlie Puth fan. I, I love that kind of music. And he, she, she even mentioned Charlie Puth. She said, Some of this stuff sounds like Charlie Puth. And I said, you couldn't have said anything better. <laughs> yeah, okay. To what degree have you changed the show now that it's playing in front of an audience? Zero. Not at all. No feedback, nothing, whatever. This is the show. Zero. And you do one or two shows a night? One. Five, sh five shows a week. And it's literally time. It's Vegas. Literally time down to the minute. 90 minutes show. I average around 89, 88, something like that. All depends on, on a segment that I call the request segment where anybody in the audience, did I mention this to you? That uh, I put all of my albums on the, on the wall behind me and anybody in the audience can pick any album, any song from any album. And we do it. Well, you obviously have a prompter. No, no prompter. 
You can remember 65 albums worth of lyrics? It's the, the band, they have music that pops up. Right. But they, they've, like last night, we played songs that they haven't, they've never played before. And they've got three seconds or so to scan. The, and that was part of the audition process. Can you read? There were so many great musicians I wanted to hire. And we went through the process of audition. And I couldn't hire them because of that one factor. They couldn't sight read. And, um, but these four musicians, five musicians, I said, we have a six saxophonist, uh, he's a monster. And um, they all sight read. So when that cheap music pops up, um, they play it. Last night, I forgot the words of this one, so I can't remember which one it was, but the show changes every night. And people think, they're looking around. They even told me this. They look around. Where's the prompter? There's no prompter. And I, I'm ready to do any song I've ever recorded. Okay. So you have a consistent... Does your number per week change on the attendance, or is it a firm number? Which number are you talking pay, about? Bob? Pay. Pay? It's, uh, it's a guarantee with percentage. So it behooves me. To, uh, to get out and promote, because the better the room does, the better everyone does, including myself. Okay, well, you're obviously successful. Otherwise, they would have canceled you over all these years. What do you do with the money? Well, it's, um, see, I love talking to you. Nobody asks those questions. Um, I'm very protective of the money. There's a portion of it I invest back into myself. Um, and the reason I am very responsible with my money is because I lost it. I almost had to take out bankruptcy when the Donnie Mir show ended in 1981. Um, our, our attorneys said, uh, guys, you don't have anything. And I remember sitting in that conference room thinking, you gotta be kidding me after, you know, 60, uh, $60 million. We had, but this is in the early seventies, right? Or the late seventies, $60 million. Can you imagine the value of that now? And uh, said uh, it was just floundered, bad decisions by your advisors, and we have to start selling your assets. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. One of the most successful boy bands uh, in the early 70s are bankrupt. And they said, yep. So I hit the road and I said, okay, that's that's the fire behind underneath me, Bob. I said, okay, I can't go back and do what I've done because it's over. I can't go back and do the puppy loves and even the one bad apples, all that stuff. I've got to reinvent myself. I moved to Los Angeles, moved to Irvine. I set up a little studio and I start, that was really the time I said, okay, you've got to be an artist. You got to start writing. And I listened to some of the stuff I wrote. It's pretty bad, but some of it's kind of clever, but I realized, okay, you got to surround yourself with great people, but now I've got all this baggage and I hired a, a great PR firm. Actually, it was Michael Jackson's PR firm at the time as well. They came up with this idea, Bob, where I was going to get busted for drugs coming in from an international flight. I said, dude, you are going to be so, have so much street cred. And, and it's the Donny Osmond will, you know, will be in every paper and every magazine all over the world. And then people will accept you. And I thought, and I'm the kind of person who says, okay, I will listen to an idea, assimilate it. And then let you know what I'm talking about or, or what I think about. So I went home that day thinking, he's absolutely right. I will be on every cover in every magazine and newspaper in the world. But then what? Then what? And I started thinking, 
I'm dry, trying to do a trick here. I'm trying to do a marketing ploy to become popular again. And I said, no, I'm going to do it with my music. I did it the hard way. <laughs> I said, I'm going to do it with my music because I want to be respected as a musician, not a clever marketing person, because that would have lasted five minutes. And then people would have chewed me up and spit me out. And I would have lived with that for the rest of my life. But then, you know, there are, are people, uh, should I say names? Okay, Simon Lebon told me one time, he said, Donnie, I would love for you to come out on the road with us and tour with us. I said, are you serious? Uh, he said, I would love for you to come out and shock everybody and we all do crazy horses together. And I thought, that would be a hilarious, that would be so much fun. But but it's a uh, trick. It's it's a one-off thing. It's like, whatever. Um, Ozzy Osbourne told me, he said, one of my most favorite rock and roll songs is Crazy Horses. Now, this is just blowing me away because these guys respected in the rock and roll industry are saying, we like your talent, but we don't want your name. <laughs> Same thing happened with uh, Phil Collin from uh, Def Leppard. I did an album. This is when I moved down to Ir Irvine in the late 80s. Um, no, it was, yeah, it was late 80s or something like that. And Phil did, I called him up. I said, Phil, I need a guitar solo. And I think you're one of the greatest guitar players. He said, dude, I would love it. Tell me when I'm there. He comes in, we record this, this solo and he just rips it apart. It's fantastic. So I'm getting ready to release the album. And I get a call from him. He said, Donnie, I got some bad news for you. I said, what? He said, I can't be on your album. I said, why? He said, management and the band, they don't want, they don't want Def Leppard associated with Donnie Osmond. I said, I get it. I understand. I've been through it all my life. I got, I can't, I can't lose this solo. He said, no, you use my alias. So Phil Collin had to use his alias because Donnie Osmond's name was just too uncool. Let's go back to the money. So are you hands-on with the money? And is it in cash, is it in stocks, is it in real estate, is it in restaurants? Or do you have somebody you trust that deals with it? What's going on there? I deal with uh, uh, a, a team of people. I have one person, Shane Edwards is his name, who watches my money. I do everything in a triangle. Okay, that's the way I make decisions. I'm at the top. My business manager's here, and my professional manager, Jim Mori, is right here. And NASA has the same principle when they launch a rocket. It's three computers. If three people, if three computers have a green light, then everything is a go. Because the, the chances of a problem statistically go way down when you've got three people looking at it, or three computers. Not two, because it's, you know, it's 50-50. Right. So um, Shane watches my money. And I watch him like a hawk. Jim watches my career. I watch him like a hawk. And when I come up with an idea and I green light it, they make sure it's not an emotional thing. They, they look at the marketing. They look at the money. They look at the potential. If I get three green lights, I move forward. And so I'm very hands-on with every single thing, including the money. In fact, I, uh, I have uh, access to my QuickBooks from my computer and anywhere, I, where, anywhere I'm at. I can see my my income and my outcome, my my assets, my liabilities, 
and I just make sure. I remember when I was doing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, I was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I was going to be there for about three weeks. And uh, my family had moved to Chicago to wait for me to arrive there, but I had a three-week gig up there in Edmonton. I called my accountant and I said, guess what? I got some news for you. You're fired. <laughs> she said, what? I said, you're fired. She said, why? She says, because I don't even know what a 1040 is. And you're my accountant. You're my business manager. I want you to pack up every single file that you have on me and send it to me. UPS it to me up here to Canada. Bob, I got, I think, 40 file boxes. And I, for those three weeks, I went through every single file and I would read books. I'd read articles and I'd, I'd learned what a 1040 was and, and a W-2 and all this 1099. And I threw away probably three quarters of that stuff that had nothing to do with my life anymore. And then I went to Chicago and I hired this Arlen Simon, great guy. He taught me the ropes of finance. And we started building up the cash, started building up my bank account. And to the point where I really don't have to worry much anymore. So when I do make a decision and I get three green lights, I'll throw the money at it because I believe in myself. I believe in what I do. And that's why I spent a lot of money on this show because I know, Bob, 99%, I'm sure, that I'm going to make the money back plus because it's a great show. You're investing in yourself, but just like any 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 educated investor, they usually balance it out with other things. Is yours in cash? Is it in stock? Is it in real estate? I, I, I try to stay away from real estate because it's volatile. I, I do have a lot of um, equities. And even though it's scary, you don't day trade. You don't, do, you don't watch the market like, like a hawk because I don't know what I'm doing in it. Um, but statistically, Bob, if you look at history, even after the depression, it always climbs, it always comes back. And it's, a, if, if, if you want to play the market, I mean, there's people who do that. Uh, I don't day trade. It's tempting, but it's scary and you can lose your shirt. And I lost it once. I ain't losing it again. <laughs> okay. So you have your kids. Now you had your kids relatively young and they have kids. To what degree do you support them and give them money? I've, um, I've decided along with my wife that um, we want to take the sting out of life for my kids. I don't flaunt them. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't throw money at them, but I give them just enough to help them with their mortgages and food on the table. I told them I'll pay for all my grandkids' education because you don't want to take the motivation out of a parent, um, but just enough to where they can enjoy life and for Debbie and myself, it's important that all of our children are equal. And nobody, yet some may have a, a better job or whatever this, some may be out of work. We'll help them because that's what parents do. But if you help too much, then the others say, well, you know, what are you doing that? Well, what about me? So it's always balanced out from what's what I call a capital account. So they know at the end of our lives, everybody's equal. And you're going to leave your money equally to them. Well, I'm trying to avoid estate tax. So 
So you're giving it to them along the way. Well, there's there's investments, obviously, and there's this distributions that you can take advantage of um, that the IRS allows. And I'm taking as much as I possibly can because you don't want to have an enormous bank account that that the uh, the government's going to grab at the end of your life. They might as well use it now to help them out in investments. Again, I don't flaunt them, uh, flaunt my money with it, uh, with them. I don't overdo it, but just enough to hopefully drain our account when our lives are over, which I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to go to 106. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, gonna go. I'm not going to make it that far. So how did you meet Debbie? She was dating my brother. My brother Jay dated her. And um, so a little bit, set the scene a little bit more. What's the age difference? And where was, where were you and your brother and Debbie living when all this happened? We're in Provo, Utah. We had moved there in 74. And my brother heard about the, uh, her sister, Pam Glenn. And because she was Miss Provo for a while. So she dated him. Uh, he dated her. Uh, and then <laughs> Jay, I mean, he just played the market. Uh, and then he met little Debbie Glenn, who was a cheerleader at Provo High. And I was in love with this girl named Tammy. And uh, so whoa, they whoa, said, whoa. Where, where's Tammy from? Okay. Tammy's from Provo. She was a cheerleader as well. And so you're famous. Yeah. Not that she doesn't have assets. How do you meet Tammy? I, she was a cheerleader. I just, you know, I walked up. I'm Donnie Osmond. I'd love to take you on a date. <laughs> so, Were you going to that high school? No, no. I never really went to school. I was always correspondence. It was, uh, I went to Okay, we'll get to that in a second. So go back to Debbie. Okay. So Debbie was, uh, we went to this, uh, to an Elton John concert up at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake. You know, you're good with your memory. You know what year it is? 76. Okay. 1976. 70, end of 75, possibly. So we go up to Salt Palace, and uh, I'm sitting there with Tammy, who I really, really liked, and Jay was had Debbie next to him, and I vividly remember this, Bob. He sat down to sing, it's a little bit funny, this feeling inside, I look over to Debbie, and I think to myself, I'm going to marry that girl someday. <laughs> I'm thinking, where do I come up with that? And um, about a month later... We'd switch. I took out Debbie and Jay took out Tammy. <laughs> he didn't marry Tammy. That would have been ironic. But it start, the romance started there, but I had to keep it secret because if the fan magazines found out I was dating somebody seriously, I would have been ostracized, which I was after I got married. And so was she by, uh, by a lot of the fans. But um, that's how it all happened. And I just fell in love with this girl. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Are you looking for the perfect move in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, you're a musician. You know, certainly in these this era of the rock stars, one of the reasons they did it was to meet women. Yep. And they were traveling all over the country in the pre-cell phone camera days, whatever. Yep. You know, you're meeting a million girls. Nope. No. Nope. Why not? After a concert, I guess I'm going to tell you this story because this is what really led me to want to get married. Um, being, um, a member of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, the moral code is high. Okay. I lived in Utah for a couple of years. So, oh, so, so you know all about it. Right. Where? Salt Lake City? Yeah. Okay. One, one year down in Sandy, one year in the avenues. Oh, okay. So we would finish this con, these concerts, girls screaming my names or screaming my name. And, um, couldn't do anything about it. I mean, come on. I'm a normal guy, hormonal teenager. But we would go back to the hotel and go from mass hysteria to silence. And um, literal si- uh, silence. There was one concert. Um, actually, there's several, but this one in particular, it was in Hawaii. We had performed at this huge arena, packed. And girls screaming my name like crazy. After the show, we go to, we had an apartment there. So I go back to the apartment and I go to the corner of this room and I roll up into a ball and I just start crying profusely. My brother Jay walks in and he said, Donnie, what's the matter? And I looked up at him. I said, I'm lonely. He said, what? Thousands of girls just screaming your name and you're lonely. I said, I'm lonely. And then I met this Debbie Glenn and before she was my lover, she was my best friend and I needed that in my personal life. Several songs on this album are about her. Beacon Girl is about her. Uh, the Way You Are is about her. She literally saved my life because as Justin Bieber released Lonely, um, I said when I saw that video and heard the song, I thought if anybody knows what that's like it's me because I went through the same teeny bopper thing that he did. And um, it inspired a song on my album called Life After Loneliness. And um, but that that's what began the process of saying, you know what, Donnie, take care of yourself. OK, so you're together with Debbie almost 50 years. You're on the road, which makes things more difficult. How do you keep the marriage together? I realized what I'd lose. I realized that uh, I would lose respect for my children, my grandchildren, and I have a conviction of my beliefs. Um, not everybody believes the same way, and I certainly don't hold that them into contempt. 
or anything because live and let live. But I, I would rather keep my marriage. Um, I don't want to use the word pure. I would rather keep my marriage pure. <laughs> I would rather uh, be have Debbie be the only one that I've I've uh, I've had a relationship with, and uh, but that's not the same as 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 everyone. I mean, there's been wonderful marriages without judging that whether yeah. people are uh, LDS or something else. Yeah, it takes two. You can believe in this all day long. You have siblings, at least one sibling I'm aware of got divorced, couple actually. So how does she feel? She's raising the kids. You're out on the road, et cetera, et cetera. There must be some arguments. Uh, you, you'd think. And yeah, we've had some, I wouldn't say arguments, but very serious discussions. And it comes down to one little word. And it may sound trite. Uh, and that word is trust. You know, she trusts me. I trust her. And and in this world, with social media the way it is, Bob, if I did something, it certainly would be out there. <laughs> okay. Well, but let's move on beyond that because there are plenty of people who are faithful and the relationships yeah. end anyway. I mean, do you ever sit at home or sit on the road, whatever, and say, you know, I got to do something for Debbie because I'm out here alone. She's alone. How often do you communicate? Every day. Every single day. Via phone, via email, text? Well, now, you know, FaceTime, you know, Duo. Uh, since I'm an Android user, it's Duo. Um, why Why are you an Android user? I just think it's a better operating system. I think I can do more with it. Well, certainly it's more flexible, but you have issues of uh, less security, shall we say. Mm, I'm pretty, I've got security. Um, I, I'm very secure in what I do. Uh, and, and where I put things. Which phone do you have? I've got the Note 20. Okay, and you have the la latest OS. Oh, you're talking to me. Hey, you're talk talking to me. Come on, come uh, on. Okay, okay, good to know. So what's your computer? What do you use for a computer? I use Apple. I'm an Apple guy. I'm a Mac guy. Uh, so I, I do cross platforms. And it, sometimes it's difficult because uh, Apple is so proprietary uh, and they make the syncing so simple. But I love the challenge of, of the, you know, the, the abilities of what I can do with this thing. Right. Um, and the ease of Apple, because that's where, you know, I use Cubase as my DAW and it's, 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 it's so user-friendly when it comes to writing music and things like that and editing. Um, although, you know, a lot of people love the PC, but I am a Mac guy. Tell me one thing you can do on your Android phone. You cannot do on an iPhone. Probably nothing. I, I I can't think of anything right now. There's some apps that I absolutely love that don't come on on an OS X or uh, iOS iOS. Um, probably nothing. I just I, I like the flexibility of being able to drill down to the OS and make some changes and 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 customize what I want. Uh, I've always been that way. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. So you grow up in Ogden, certainly. No, not really. I'll correct you. Okay, well, there. well, let me. You then let's just drill down a little bit deeper. Okay. You were born where? Ogden. You were born in Ogden. Now, ultimately, the family moves to Provo, which is certainly more of an LDS hub. But you, you were born. What are your first memories? Well, my first memories, um, 
were kind of like, like my last memories of Ogden because uh, I moved away when I was three and I grew up in San, San Fernando Valley in uh, Los Angeles area. That's home. Um, so I'm a Valley dude, I guess. But I really grew up on the road. I grew up out of a suitcase. Okay. Well, anyway, you moved to the San Fernando Valley. What point do they put you to work? So I started working, uh, singing when I was four and finally went professional at five, made my debut at five. And I became a full-fledged member of the band when I was seven. Um, and then I had my first, you know, recording experience, one number one, uh, and solo art and solo career at 12. And then the TV thing started at 16. Okay. But let's go back when you're living in the San Fernando Valley. Did you ever tell your father, I don't want to do this. I want to watch television. I want to play baseball. Well, put yourself in his situation. But yeah, the short answer is, yeah, I, I didn't. In 1966, I wrote a letter back to my mom. I was in Sweden and uh, touring. I said, I don't really want to. I want to come home. Well, what is my father supposed to do? Stop the tour? Um, no. So you do your job. You get out there and you sing. We do three shows a day and we set up sound and lights and we do every show is in a different town. I'm so glad I went through that, Bob, because, yeah, I hated it. As a little kid, I wanted to go play at home with my toys. But I liked the training. I liked the discipline that I was taught by my dad. Uh, I liked the, the work. I liked the harmonies that we were doing on stage. Now, now, keep in mind, let's go back to the beginning when I was four. I'm hearing barbershop harmonies constantly. So that's my foundation was harmony. And then when I joined, we went to five-part harmony, modern harmony with the nines and the sixes and all that kind of stuff in the chord. And so now my, my training, my ear had already been trained at such a young age in barbershop, but now I'm doing modern harmony. So when I record, I listen to, um, Jacob Collier. Do you know the, the artist Jacob Collier? I know Jacob. Yeah. So I, I love that guy because of what he does with harmonies, and with pitch and with, uh, he's, just, he's a genius. And so I try to, with my foundation, do the same thing with my voice and try not to use auto-tune too much, but just the real thing, you know? Um, so that's what was really going on in my mind when I moved to San Fernando Valley was all these harmonies. And then Andy Williams, we were on the Andy Williams show, and he would challenge us to do all kinds of stuff. And Earl Brown, it was George Weil who did all of our arrangements at that point in time, and he would stretch us. And I remember sitting down at this piano. Um, we had this piano I hated, <laughs> the hours in front of it. It was the same piano that, uh, Sonny, thank you for the love that you give to me, was written on this piano. And we would spend countless hours plunking our parts out. But when it all came together, it was euphoric because pre-auto-tune, all of our ears, all five of us, we would balance, we would listen to our pitch and all this stuff. And we would do harmonies that were just so complex. And I loved every bit of it because that's where my training was. That's, that was my foundation. I don't know if this is answering your question. I'm no, going it, off on a tangent here. No, it is, here, but, but uh, there's a go. 
So you say that you were not, uh, you know, involved with girls when you were on the road. Yeah. What perks did you get for being famous? I mean, this is a day of three network TVs, channels, and, you know, every kid wanted to be famous. You were. Yeah. So what were the benefits of that? They opened Disneyland early. I mean, what, what was Well, yeah, you on? get all those perks, but what better perk? Um, and I know this may sound a little interesting to your listeners because they're, you know, hardcore rock and rollers or, you know, web musos. And that's the last thing they think of when they think of Donny Osmond. But what better perk than to get on stage and to do your music, you know, as teeny bopper as it was in my stuff, but also, also the rock and roll stuff I was doing my brothers. What better perk do you want than an audience just screaming and yelling your name? And being able to create music, that's what I was doing as a musician. I was honing all those skills. Um, and I know, again, that might sound, you know, odd to someone who doesn't really understand the, the deep cauldrons of my life, but those were my perks, was my music. I would, I would, I would listen. Let's just put a wall between that. Obviously, very into that. You're not yeah. on stage 24-7. Correct. You meet, you meet the president. What are some cool things you got to do because you were famous? Yeah. You get to meet the president. You get to do all kinds of things. I got to oh, listen to this story. This is kind of cool. So this, I don't know if this con is considered a perk, but in, in, a, in a roundabout kind of way it is. I got a letter, Bob, from a fan in Sweden. And I'm in Utah and the person in charge of our fan club hands me this letter. All it says on there is Donny Osmond. There's no address. She allegedly put it in the mailbox, no stamp. And the, and the post, uh, po uh, the postman picks it up and says, Donny Osmond, oh, I get a lot of these, send it to the United States. It gets to the shores. Oh, Donny Osmond sent it to Utah. We get a lot of these. It gets to Utah. Oh, I know exactly where this goes. It gets to my fan club. They see it. It's, you know, stamped or not stamped, but it's, it's um, what do they call that when they uh, run it through the mail thing? And it's um, canceled. The canceled. It's canceled. So it's canceled with no stamp. And it says Donny Osmond on it from Sweden all the way to Utah with no address. That's a perk. That's for sure. Was there ever a period of time where you felt that you couldn't go out, you couldn't go uh, to the grocery store or shopping in a department store because either people would mob you or you felt that people were looking at you? That only got to me later on in my life because when the name Donny Osmond became a joke, then I wanted to hide myself. And because I said to myself, they're talking about me you know, in, in a derogatory sense. Prior to that, it was like, yeah, I'm a monkey in a cage and I'm loved being a, being a monkey right now because of all the perks, you know, you mentioned Disneyland, stuff like that. And, and Donny Osmond, Oh, a free meal. Let me buy you a free meal. And, um, yeah, there, there's all kinds of perks you get when you have that kind of career. But my dad was really, I don't know how he did it. Yeah. I, I in a way I do know how he did it because he never let us live a, an opulent life. He never let us get caught up in the celebrityism. Um, in fact, <laughs> when we, we moved to Westwood, and come on, we could have afforded a huge mansion, right? He bought this apartment complex, 
and he'd cut holes in the walls to the next complex or to the next apartment and made a huge house out of it because he cut these the holes in the walls. And it was like a 12-plex or something like that. And then his thinking was, we're going to keep a very nice, um, oh, what's a good word? Um, unopulent. I can't think of, think of the word. Um, unostentatious place to live. And when we're done, when we move out, we, you know, you know, put the uh, walls back together and we sell it as a 12 pack. Complex. <laughs> it was a great business um, way to do it. But we never drove fancy cars. Do you know what my first car was? Tell me. It was a Chevy Chevette. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that was my first car. And do you know why I got it? Tell I did me. a commercial. It was, it was called an Acadian. It was a Canadian commercial. And they said, we'll give you two cars. Uh, one for Marie and one for yourself. I said, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to get a Chevette. <laughs> I could afford it a Lamborghini. <laughs> okay. Your father was the manager. Yeah. Entertainment is littered with parents who were managers. There's some good stories, but a lot of bad stories. Yeah. Okay. Where... You know, whether it be Joe Jackson or Murray Wilson, where they're, you know, they're controlling the money, they're Colonel taking Parker. the money, whatever. So what were what was it like having your father be a manager? And with hindsight, were the things he did that you wish he didn't? Well, he was kind of a pseudo manager. Jim Morey and Ed Leffler. Did you ever know Ed Leffler and Ray Katz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Used to be an agent, then became manager. Yeah. Yeah. So they were the manager's. Uh, at those beginning stages of one bad apple and all that kind of stuff. Uh, prior to that, um, it was like, you know, hand to mouth. It was we're really trying hard to make a, get a career going. So my dad, very wise, he, in a managerial kind of way, he surrounded us with very talented people. That's where I learned that philosophy. And I think he knew where his limitations were. That's when he brought in Ed Leffler and Ray Katz and Jim Morey. And uh, I don't know why we parted ways uh, a few years after that, but I'm back with Jim after all those years. It, you have to have good representation because there's only so much an artist can do because you've got to have people out there all the time working it. And I work with them, but I can't look at my dad and say he made erroneous mistakes other than the fact he let other people start controlling the money. And that was the biggest mistake, which he didn't really want to do. He, he was kicking and screaming to let that happen. But thank goodness he had a you know business sense about him because he bought shopping centers and almond ranches and, and all these other things that we had to start selling off when we started going bankrupt. Because he said, I'm not going to take out bankruptcy because I don't want to screw anybody. I want all of our debtors to be paid off. And we ended up with nothing thanks to the business acumen of my dad. Okay, tell me about the education component. So I never really had time to go to school because I was always working at the age of five. So I went and got my primary education um, in Baltimore at Calvert School. I've never been to my school. It was all through the mail. And then my high school was at a place called American School in Chicago, which I've never been at either. So um, that's how I got my education. I went to public school for two weeks of the second grade. Uh, a couple weeks of the sixth grade and one semester of college, and that's all I've done. 
Okay, so tell me the experience of doing a correspondence. I mean, did you have a tutor there, your mother, say, you got to spend X number of hours a day? How does it work? Yeah, I I, kind of cheated my way. I'll be completely honest. I'm not going to pull any punches with you, Bob. There are holes in my education that I wish weren't there because I just didn't focus. I loved electronics. I loved math, hated history, all this kind of stuff. And so English, I, I didn't like English. And that's why sometimes I'm a little timid when it comes to uh, speaking because I can't find the words. Um, so I wish I, I wish those holes weren't there. And I've really tried hard later on in my life to figure out how to fill those holes. But that's where I got my love of electronics and, and, and math and things like that, which has helped me in from the technical point of view uh, or technical sense of my recording. Because I love computer technology. If I were to sing, I'd probably work for Apple or something like that. Okay. You grew up in a large family. Oh, one story real fast. Okay, go, I go, got, go. I got, I got to tell you this okay, about my tell, education. Tell me, tell me, tell me. This is kind of a funny story. So back in the day when, when uh, Disney, Walt Disney would launch a ride, uh, there was no social media. You know, they only had three networks. So they would produce a, um, a television show, Disney After Dark or whatever it might be. And uh, so when they launched the Haunted Mansion, they got the Osmond Brothers with Kurt Russell, and we produced a television special. I was 10, maybe, something like that. So obviously still in school. I had to have a, a welfare worker slash teacher, and they had to find a school. They had to find a place for me to have school. There was a room in the Haunted Mansion <laughs> that wasn't being used. Up on, I think, the second floor or something like that. They made a little schoolroom. I think I'm the only person ever in existence to be able to say the Haunted Mansion was my schoolhouse. Right. Go to school in the Haunted Mansion. So there's nine kids. What about sibling rivalry? Sibling rivalry. It was there. Obviously, it was there. But again, pointing to my dad, uh, we had this philosophy that there was a boss. And uh, when it came to the band... Alan was the boss if father wasn't there. And Alan was a great boss. I mean, um, but there were times where you couldn't really voice your opinion because we had so much to get done, especially when you're on the road. When on stage and something happens, we all look at Alan. He makes a decision. Boom, we, we execute it. That gets difficult when you grow up a little bit more and you want to have a voice and you can't. That's when I started pulling away from the band and starting my own career in the mid 80s. It was difficult, it was very difficult. Um, but uh, that was the philosophy and uh, it kind of curtailed, I guess is the best word to use, any sibling rivalry arguments uh, because it's like, oh, this is the way we're gonna do it. And boom, we snapped in. It was almost like we were soldiers in a way. And some people will say, oh, isn't that sad? You didn't live a childhood, you were a soldier. I lived a different kind of childhood. It was, yes, it was very strict. And, but look what we did. Look what we were able to accomplish. And it was that, that regimen of respecting authority and whoever's in charge. Listen, like for on this show, the Vegas show. I put the show together, but when Raj, who I hired to be my director, even Jim Mori told me this, if Raj says something, listen to him. <laughs> and it, it took me right back to the days of, I will listen to you. I will assimilate it. 
because I'm smart enough to know that all of my ideas aren't the best ideas. So I have this ability to listen and then assimilate and then execute. But when you hire somebody to do a job, listen to them. Otherwise, don't hire them. Okay, you've had a lot of experience in 50 years. Tell me what makes a good manager. Tell me about some bad managerial experiences you've had. Okay. I love Jim Morey because he listens to me. And because he listens to me, I mean, he'll present opportunities to me. And he lets me make the decision. And if I don't make the right decision, <laughs> he'll let me know it. But he, but I'll, I'll say, Jim, I just don't want to do that. And he respects that decision. Some managers, they don't listen to the artist. They just say, look, you got to do this and you got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. And they'll work you to death. You know what Jim tells me? Do what you want to do. Do what feels right. And you know who else told me that? 1983. We go back to that car ride with Michael Jackson. And when I said, Michael, what kind of, what kind of material, what kind of songs should I sing to get back on, on the charts? Do you know what he said? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, how well did you know Michael Jackson and other celebrities? Um, I knew Mike pretty well. Um, and that started when we were 13 because we're about the same age. And Mike's six months older than me. And it all started at the CNE, Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto. We were playing a show there. It was a daytime show. And the Jacksons were performing the following night or following day. And I wanted so badly to stay and watch the show because, you know, they were watching our show and obviously I wanted to watch Mike. But we had to leave and do another gig in another town. But they came to our hotel room and my memories of that are, are so interesting because Tito and Wayne and and Jermaine and Merrill and Jackie and Alan and Marlon and Jay, they were all talking and, and Joe and Catherine were talking to my mom and dad. Do you know what Mike and I were doing? We were over in the corner 
playing with toys. And from looking back after all these years, it's such a weird thing because just these two little teenagers wanted to be kids. We were having number one records, but we just wanted to be kids. And so that relationship grew from there. And I remember going over to his home in, at Havenhurst when he lived out in Encino. Um, we, uh, we would laugh our heads off at the comparison of each family. And he loved to show me all of his gold records and stuff like that. And that was fine. That's fine, Mike. But we would talk about, you know, the nine children. They had nine children. We had nine children. Our mother's birthdays are on the same day. And it's just a similar, similar experiences. But Joe told us something that was kind of interesting. Told my dad, you know, because we were always blamed at copying the Jackson 5 because they came out first with the I Want You Back, I think it was the first one. Right. And then we came out with one bit Apple. Um, so they said the Osmonds are trying to be, be the white Jacksons. And, and that started that, uh, that, that rivalry between the Jacksons and the Osmonds. And Mike and I just had the time of our life about, you know, the comparisons because we were friends. Um, and we were going to do a duet together. Uh, this is, you know, years and years later after things really started becoming a mess for Mike. So I went uh, and we were going to do, I wish those days could come back with more. And it was a perfect song. He was going to start looking back on when I was a little nappy headed boy. Lyrically, it was perfect. I went over to Stevie's um, studio and I played him the track. And so I got Stevie's blessings. He said, this is going to be amazing. So I went over to Neverland. I played it for Mike. And he said, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. We set a, a date for our vocals three weeks from that time. He calls me the following week. He said, Donnie, can we postpone it a little bit? I'm just getting hounded by the press and things are crazy right now. I said, Mike, you postpone it however long you want, because when it's right, we'll do it. And it never happened. So the relationship over the years kind of got a little strange as he started making some weird decisions. I remember getting a call from him, Bob. I was on the road and my phone rings. I pick it up and he says, hello. I said, hello, Donnie. Who's it? Mike. Hi, Donnie. And we had this conversation and I said, where are you? He says, I can't tell you. I said, Mike, come on. You're talking to me. Where, where are you? Where are you? He said, I'm in Phoenix. I rented a tour bus and I put my kids in it and I just had to get out of LA and just escape. I just needed to get away. I said, Mike, you're a nine hour drive from my home. I'm done this Saturday. I will be home. You get in that bus and you drive up to Utah. No one will know you're there. Your kids can go swimming with my kids. I'm going to give you a weekend of normalcy. And he said, I really need that right now. He never took me up on it. It was the last time I spoke with him. Why do you think he never grew up and went in his direction where you're so grounded in an adult? That's a million dollar question. We could pontificate on that all you want and, you know, blame Joe or whatever. But um, you really want me to go there? Sure. He made a big mistake. When you're that popular and he was a genius, I... I you got to give him that. 
whether you really liked his music or not, but the, it, it was fantastic. He was a genius. And yes, Quincy added so much to that. That was an amazing team. But he started surrounding himself with yes people. I saw it happening. And there was a saying that started going around his circles, unbeknownst to him, the air is rare up there. When you start breathing your own oxygen. And um, that can be very, very dangerous when you know you're good and everybody's telling you you're good. It just gets dangerous. <laughs> to, to coin a phrase of his, dangerous. Right. And I, I think that's maybe one factor. I heard for him because he and I had such a great relationship. I knew him in a, in a way that nobody else, the world didn't know. The world known him, knew him as Wacko Jacko. And I knew him as that 13 year old kid that we met in Toronto at CNE. And I hold on to that and nothing else. Okay. You're over 60. You have brothers in their seventies. Uh, you have a couple of younger siblings Obviously, the heyday of the group was, you know, the late 60s, early mid-70s. Right. To what degree do you feel responsible for the family? Do you really want to ask me that? Yeah. You really want to get me in trouble? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, my goal is not to get you in trouble. But, you know, when one sibling, you know, this is more complicated than any situation you normally come across. Because, the, you know, a lot of groups, a lot of families, the kids grow up equal, and then one becomes mega successful. Yeah. You were all successful together. Yeah. So you have the exact same roots. Yeah. And then you have gone on to have a career in show business. Not everybody in the family has been able to do that. As you say, you've been in hard times. You know, comes down to money and opportunities it's it's complicated in absolutely every family. Wow. Um, this is not an easy answer. I'm going to start by saying this. It, it's really hard to answer this, Bob, because um, as I mentioned earlier, and I don't want to repeat myself, but I have to a little bit. I had two careers going on at the same time. This is prior to the Donnie and Marie career, which, you know, three careers. But the teeny bopper career that I had kind of ruined my rock and roll career. And because it ruined my rock and roll career, my brothers were part of that rock and roll career. Case in point. Um, we did an album called The Plan. And for, for those who really drill down into the, the depths of my career or the Osmonds careers, uh, The Plan was way ahead of its time. And, um, so my brother, Alan white labeled it, did pretty much what I did with, with soldier of love, white labeled it and took it to, I think it was KLOS there in LA. And, um, the program director and music director met with my brother, Alan from a new band. They play, he played the album to him said, dude, man, this sounds like you know, Led Zeppelin influences and the, the who and, and, uh, and all these, these bands, the stones, uh, what's the name of the band? He said, it's the Osmonds. Do you know what they said? I'm sorry, we can't play it. Do you know why? Because of me. And this is kind of like a roundabout, convoluted way to answer your question. 
because of me. Because I was enjoying such success in the other career. And so that really hurts. And so to answer this question of yours um, is very difficult because of what our careers could have been like. But I don't want to put down my teeny boppa career because it was amazing. But the two couldn't re- exist in the same world. It's impossible. I found that out. I know that the hard way. And my brothers found that out as well. But then an interesting dynamic took place as all that was taking place. An opportunity from Freddie Silverman, president of ABC, offered the Donnie and Marie show. And I immediately realized there goes my record career. Because if people can watch me every week on television, they're not going to buy my records. And sure enough, that's what happened. But an interesting thing took place with my brothers. The show was so successful. I mean, we were getting 30, 32 shares. It was crazy. Um, my brothers jumped in and they were behind the scenes because let's all, it's all for one, one for all kind of a situation. And we all made this show very, very successful. But the, the second part of the story I want to tell you was we were in, in Las Vegas. I want to say the years 1975, four, maybe. And, um, the brothers, Marie and Jimmy. So it's the Austin brothers with Donnie and Marie and Jimmy on the billboard. Bob, I was in every single song. In every segment. I don't hold anyone con- in contempt. I don't hold my brothers. I don't have ill feelings towards anyone who made me do that. But I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just being honest with you because you can spot a liar a million miles away. You haven't done, you know, you haven't been around, you've been around the block. And if I went down, that was a problem. We couldn't cut anything. And it really took its toll on me. And I thought, I'm, I can't get out. Because everything is being dependent upon, you know, make sure you're there. Make sure you're there. I had to stay healthy. I had to stay strong. And, um, and I hope that if my brothers are hearing this, they don't hold me in contempt for saying this. But it's the truth. I mean, let, let's just be honest. I was a part of all three careers. And I'm glad. I mean, it, it, it kept me busy. But it was, it kept me dependent as well as a, as a, as a, no, dependent. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Do you feel any resentment? Well, how can I say that? Because if I, if I blatantly made mistakes and said, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. And I'm, I'm Donnie Osmond and I've got my career. If I had said all that, yeah, then I, I would hold resentment because they made me do these other things. So I can't say that I got resentment because I learned from it. Yeah, it was very difficult going through that lonely tunnel, as I referred to earlier. But I learned so much from the business and how to to 
evolve a career and how to write music because I was down at rock bottom. You talk about motivation, Bob. You got to pull yourself out from rock bottom below rock bottom because you have to pull yourself up. Now you're at ground zero. (laughs) Okay. But did your brothers resent you that you ultimately pulled away and found future success? I don't think so because they started their own uh, country career. They had, uh, you know, some marginal hits with that, but some talented guys. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, to placate. They're very, very talented. Alan wrote the plan. Uh, Merrill had one of the greatest rock and roll voices of all time. Wayne played the, the all the guitar stuff on Crazy Horses. Jay, an amazing drummer. Um, so they they went on and started doing some other things. Marie went on to do her career. Now, this is interesting. After the Donnie and Marie show ended, uh, Marie went on to have hits, you know, country hits and stuff like that. Donnie Osmond <laughs> was put out to pasture. It's like, okay, everybody else is now doing their own thing. Everything's split. You're on your own. Now I had to figure out what I was going to do and how I was going to reinvent myself. That's when I moved to Los Angeles and said, okay, I got I to gotta start again. Okay, so when the TV show was happening, the family built a studio in Orem. Yeah. The conventional wisdom was ultimately that was a cause, it was expensive, and you lost money. So what really happened there? And then after the show was over, what happened to the space? Mm -hmm. Well, it's now a uh, worldwide famous drug rehab place for stars it's true and stars from all over the world and i i obviously don't have i'm not privy to that information because it's hipaa but um the guy who owns it it's a good friend of mine he said i wish i could tell you who's in there in your studio i wish you would be shocked so it went from this amazing state-of-the-art facility and then it went through these dark years because this is the mistake that was made in my life. The wrong people were hired to make these decisions. I had no idea what they were doing in show business, but they were spending money. They had a commercial division, a movie division, a film, you know, a, an airline division, all kinds of stuff that we had no knowledge in. You said something earlier when we were talking about money. That's so true. Invest in yourself because that's what you know. And they were investing our money in things that we had no business being in. And that's when it all crumbled. And we lost the studio and and the rest is history. And how often do you speak with the other members of your family these days? Oh, all the time. I just got a text from Marie um, a couple of days ago. And Jimmy was over at the house uh, last night. Alan, I talk with him all the time. We, we have a family thread. And uh, so I, all the time. It's, it's kind of nice. We're not business partners anymore, and it's just family stuff. Dow, does anybody in the family say, hey, my grandkid wants to be in the business. Can you hire him on your show? I think they know better than that. Uh, first of all, there's no room in the show, but nobody has ever said that to me. How about even behind the scenes, you know, working with the crew? Oh, I, there are several nephews and nieces that have come to me. And they say, what do I, I love the music business. And I'll, I'll sit and spend hours with them and just 
give them a piece of my mind and, you know, from my experience. Um, but it all gets back to the island. It all gets back to you. You know, I can give you as much advice as anybody can give you as much advice as you want, but you got to do it. That's what I learned when I had to reinvent myself. I can't rest on anybody anymore. It's you, especially nowadays. Okay. So what's the next step? Have a have a residency till the end of time? Retire <laughs> another mountain to climb? Well, I just started the residency here, so this is this is where my focus is right now. Yeah, well, you're not that old though. I mean, you could do the residency for 10 years and you'd still be in your you know, 70s. Yeah, exactly. And I might do that. I mean, we'll see what happens. But I'm an artist. I've already started plans and ideas and concepts on my 66th album. So I'm constantly writing. I I got so many ideas in this little thing that uh, I will act upon when things settle down a little bit. I just uh, committed to. Uh, well, first of all, I'm promoting you know my 65th album, and that so those two projects are primary for me. But I'm in the process right now of learning uh, a new show. I committed to do what is touted to be. Um, the biggest show in England for the month of December. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with with Panto pan, Pantomime. Mm-hmm. It's it's a British cultural thing, and it's starting to make its way here in the United States. So, um, Michael Harrison called me. He's the producer, and he said, "Would you be interested in playing this?" And I said, "Oh, Michael, it's Christmas. <laughs> I want to be home with my wife and kids and grandkids." And so I, I talked it over with my wife. She said, let's do it. Let's go over there and just have Christmas in London. Some of the kids are coming over. Some of the grandkids are coming over. And we're going to have a blast. Huge show. I'm the MC. I'm the wizard. And uh, it's, they said, Michael said, it's going to be the biggest panto show they've ever done. Because last year, they started it, did six shows, and they had to cancel it because of COVID. And he said, we're taking that show and we're going to multiply it by 10. It's going to be the biggest panto show we've ever done. So if someone asks you to do something, what touches your buttons? What makes you say no? How important are money? How important is schedule, etc.? Challenge. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. It doesn't challenge me as an artist. So panto is going to challenge me because now I'm playing this character. And I've got to play this role. I really loved theater when I did Joseph. And you do the same thing when you record music. You throw, I close my eyes. I go into another world as an artist. And I sing, I know this may sound silly to some people, but musicians understand this. Will it challenge me as an artist? Will people walk away and say, I had no idea he could do that. I mean, I, I thrive on that. You know, it's like I've had to because after a teeny bopper career, you want to surprise people all the time. So when people expect the right turn, you go left. And I eat that up as an artist when I reinvent myself and, and do something totally different. Um, <laughs> some people find it kind of interesting that, I, that I'm on Chicago 17. And uh, David Foster called me up and he said, uh, not that Chicago really bought your albums like I said with Peter Gabriel, but we want your sound. And he was producing the tubes at the time. And uh, Bill, Bill Champlin 
wrote that we can stop the hurting for a while. So uh, he said, I want your sound. I want that Osmond sound. So I said, I'm there. And the fact that I would do an album like that, it surprises people that you were on Chicago 17. When Dweezil Zappa called me and said, would you be willing to do Staying Alive with all these amazing guitar players? And yes, it's kind of like a tongue in cheek kind of a thing. Uh, seeing staying alive and I'm, I'm singing about, you know, staying alive as an artist, but it, it, it turned people's heads. Peter Gabriel. I mean, it turned your head when Peter Gabriel was involved in Donny Osmond's career. I love that because it's like, I gotta hear this. It's, that's just different. I love that. Okay. You know, they, they say they're not going to use the word Mormons anymore. Uh, let's church of the latter day saints, Real reality television has become very big over the last 20 years. And right. What they noticed is a lot of the winners were LDS people. And they said because they knew how to get along in large families. To what degree has your religious background benefited your career? Well, let me cl- correct you on one other thing. Yeah, people say LDS too, but it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the longest name. I know, I know you're not supposed to use LDS either. And I'm thinking, what can I say? You can use it if you want. It doesn't matter. And and the reason why they're getting away from Mormon is because it sounds like a cult. And and that was the whole purpose behind President Nelson, uh, our prophet. He said, you know, we're not a cult. You know, we're Christians. But it's not in your name. It's not in the church's name. It's Mormon. In fact, uh, I read an interesting article. I think it was over in Russia. They said, no, Mormon church, we don't, we won't allow you here because that's a cult. And then they found out what we really, really were is the church of Jesus Christ. And I said, oh, you mean you're Christians? Oh, okay. Come on in. <laughs> so you question how, how big of a role has it played? What the, restate the question? Yes. I mean, to what degree are the values in the environment responsible for your success, your career, your ability to fly straight, get along with people? I don't think it obviously it plays a role because it's my life um, but I don't think it has dictated my career it has to a certain extent because I won't sing you know certainly uh, explicit sexual lyrics or things like that but so I guess in a small way it has but I don't let my personal beliefs dictate my career uh, you might think, well, there's a, a there's a wrong rub there because it should. No, no. You talk to a lot of uh, rock and rollers. I f- find it quite interesting that when um, 72, I want to say, we were playing Earl's Court in London. And the band that was playing the night before was Led Zeppelin. And we wanted to go see it. So we, we were... We were in the audience, and this guy comes up and says, they want to meet you. We said, what? <laughs> I said, what? He said, the guys, the Led Zeppelin, the, the band, they want to meet you. So we said, sure, it's 15 minutes before the show starts. So we get up, and we walk backstage. Guess what was going on backstage? Sexual activities. Absolutely not. They were playing Frisbees with their kids. Now, obviously, the sexual activities and, and the Jack Daniels and all that stuff, you know, obviously that gets you know, sex, rock and roll and, you know, all the drugs, whatever. 
but they were playing frisbee with their kids. And, and I thought, now this is just not what I thought it would be back here. <laughs> um, but what's really interesting, Bob, is that sometimes a hardcore image um, plays into as an advantage to a rock and roller when sometimes, you know, they're good, solid people and they use it as, as a promotional tool because it's cool, you know? And I, I thought, what a uh, juxtaposition that was <laughs> to see that. <laughs> so, um, it, it's my way of life, uh, to be a member of the church and I don't, shove it down people's throats. I'm not uh, a zealot. Uh, it's great for me. It's kept me safe. But, you know, everybody's different. And I acknowledge that. Have you, have you seen Book of Mormon and have you read the John Krakauer book? I haven't read the John Krakauer. Uh, John Krakauer. Krakauer. I haven't read that book. And I haven't seen the musical. But I understand there's a reference to me in there. <laughs> they say something and a smile like Donny Osmond in a very condescending way. I think that's funny. But no, I have not. I have not seen them. Yet well, there before. was a story in the Wall Street Journal that actually uh, members of your church embraced the show completely. Hey, they bought ads in the playbill. <laughs> they had missionaries standing out by the theater. <laughs> Explain that to me. Well, you know, it's like now you heard their story. Here's the real story, because it's from what I understand. And I've listened to the music and it's 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 uh, pretty derogatory, but it's in, all done tongue in cheek. It's the, the South Park guys, you know, and uh, if you could accept it for what it is, it's fine. Uh, I don't take it. I don't take offense to it. I take my religion seriously. But I can laugh at myself just as much as anybody else. I thought it was so funny. During the 2002 Olympics, uh, Marie and I actually were in the opening ceremony. There was a sign. It was so funny. And derogatory is all get out. And it was on, right off of I-15. You know where that is. Yeah, absolutely. It was an adver advertisement for beer. I think it was Coors. And there was a can on the left-hand side and a six-pack on the right-hand side. And it said, buy one for yourself and get a six pack for the wives. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's funny advertising. <laughs> and, but little does the world know we don't practice polygamy, but that's the perception, right? And uh, so I thought, if, if people can't laugh at that, you're taking life too seriously. <laughs> okay. Utah is seen as a red state. Where yep. are you on the political spectrum? I'm not going there. Okay. I ain't going there. Okay, I'm not going to press you, mm -mm. but tell me your thinking why you don't want to go there. Because it's a no-win situation. I've seen, I see what they did to uh, Cardi B. I see uh, all these other people who have, you know, made statements. Look what they did to Faith Hill. Uh, you know, just innocent statements. Innocent. And... In this world of social media, everyone's a critic. And I'm not going to go there because I'm an entertainer. I just want to entertain. Uh, I have a little bit of a problem when celebrities get on a platform, a political platform. Yes, we're all citizens. Yes, we have opinions. 
And they have every right as anybody else, a politician to say what they want to say, what they're thinking. I do my, I do my, I, I let my opinions know with my vote. And I mean, that could go down uh, a rabbit hole, just that conversation, let alone whether I'm red or blue. And so I'm not going to go there because I'm a singer. I'm a politician. I'm not a politician. Okay. Who do you talk to about other than your wife? You have close friends? I, well, it depends on who, what I want to talk about. Give me an example. Well, some people like Jerry Seinfeld legendarily talks to a comedian friend every day. Mm. Then there are other people who talk to friends once a week. And then there are people you see live. But, you know, if something, if you have more questions and answers, you had an interesting day, is there somebody you pick up the phone and talk to? To the degree, you know, we're living in a world where it's more communication in terms of text. But do you have a friend like that? I do. His name is Sick Nick. And who is that? His name is Nick, and I call him Sick Nick. Okay. Is he in the business? How do you know him? He is, um, he interned uh, during the Donnie Marie show. and plays guitar, musician. He wanted to learn his way around the studio. I took him under my wing and I taught him everything I know about the studio and recording, writing, and a prolific guy. I mean, just very, very talented. Lived in, um, over in Iran for a while. His dad was uh, a member of the FBI, if I'm I'm not mistaken, and, um, or Secret Service. And um, uh, so he's been around the world very well educated. Um, and so when I want to talk about deep things, um, I'll call sick Nick. Um, there's, there's, uh, in our ward, it, where I go to church, I, uh, there, there's several people that I will call and, uh, and talk, but I would rather have a wonderful conversation with my wife. And cause if I'm going to spend time talking with somebody, and time is a very, very precious commodity in my life. I'll spend it with the one I absolutely love and adore. And I'll talk to my children. My Two of my sons were here last week. One is a great photographer. He's a great advertising um, executive. Um, shot the show. And we just spent hours talking. And I love talking to my kids. I love talking to my grandkids. I'll get them. You know, I, I planted a tree, a, a fruit tree for every one of my grandkids. So when they come over, they say, Grandpa, I got to go see my tree. And it, it, it's such a bonding moment. Just so you say, you say, come over. Where is this location you come over? I live over? in Provo, Provo, Utah. Okay. So other than your own music, two albums on a, de- on a desert aisle, what do you bring? So. Okay. I love So. Peter Gabriel, right? Yeah, I love that album. Um, I would probably pick, um, maybe, uh, obviously a Stevie song, maybe songs in the key of life. Okay. Those two, I probably are my go-tos. Okay. You have a double album there to, uh, give you more music. Yeah. Two, two peaks of your career that you're most proud of. Two peaks of my career. Soldier of Love was my major comeback. Just so you know, it's not on Spotify. 
I don't know who owns these. That came out on Capitol. I don't know why it's not on the service. There's a live version, but the original studio version not there. It's on YouTube, but not Spotify. I didn't check the other services. Bob, you're good. You know what you're doing. That's my fault. I own the masters of that. And uh, I, it, I just have to get to it. <laughs> well, that's like one of your biggest records. It was, yeah. And so I will. You, you, you just lit a fire underneath me. I'll, I'll probably get it up soon. So Soldier of Love and then the other. I'd probably say... See, this is tough because I, I want to say Dancing with the Stars, but I'm going to say Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat because that was what I did right after Soldier. I spent 10 years to get back on the charts. I released Soldier of Love, Sacred Emotion, and then I put it all on hold. People said, Donnie, what are you doing? You spent all this time to get back on the charts, and now you're going to go do theater? I said, I have to, because 10 years ago, I failed miserably on Broadway. I opened and closed the same night. And I I said, it's a six-month run, and I'll get back to recording. That six months turned into six years. And um, so I guess I'd, I'd point to that one. But then again, you know, it, it's like trying to pick a favorite child. You can't do it. I mean, there's so many things. One Bad Apple, The Andy Williams Show, uh, The Peacock on The Masked Singer, Winning Dancing with the Stars. Um, there's so many things that I can point to, but I will, I, I'll, if you want to, I'll go Soldier of Love and Joseph. Okay, you're a very friendly, charismatic guy. Do you, now this is business, let's be frank, but in your everyday life, are you trying to make everybody like you? Or are you fine, or if you fine if people don't like you? No, I'm fine because I believe me. When you grow up with the name Donny Osmond, you know there's a lot of people that don't like you because you, you're a joke. Um, so I guess... You know, if you were my psychiatrist right now and I'm sitting on the couch, I probably would maybe say to you, yeah, maybe I want people to like me and maybe that's what motivates me. And then I have to say to myself, is there anything wrong with that? Is there really anything wrong with that? Yeah, there it is. If you have a fake personality and you're just putting on a show for people. But then then you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, are you really real? I wrote a song that 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 uh, spoke of that are you really real and it's called faces in the mirror faces in the mirror very much like a prince kind of very funky thing it was going to be a single on capital and then the president switched and whatever it got lost in the shuffle but i wrote that song saying basically like a ventriloquist who are you doing now what hat do you have on now are you the puppy lover are you the soldier of lover? Are you the Joseph? Are you the dancing with the stars? Are you the little kid on Andy Williams? Are you this guy trying to be somebody you're not? Who are you trying to be? And with that song, it was it was almost a, a, a euphoric, eye-opening awakening. Like, just be yourself. So when you say I'm charismatic and very friendly, am I putting on a show? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, because just walk around, ask anybody that I work with, you know, they absolutely, I had this conversation with my dancers last night before the show started. They walk up to me and say, I love coming to work. I said, why? He says, because you make it fun. And my band, 
I've got, it's rumored right now that I have the best band in Las Vegas. And I have to agree. They are amazing. And they all tell me the same thing. Donnie, we love coming to work because you just make it fun. There's a moment in the show where I just improv with the band and I just let them go and I start, start scatting and Earl Campbell on drums and, he, and I just do these things. I just try this groove, try that groove, try this groove. We tried one the other night, went to a jazz field, didn't quite work, but we still had fun. And I think the audience enjoys it because they see these four musicians up there with me scatting and just trying stuff, experimenting, whether it be for 30 seconds or a minute, whatever it might be. And then we go into the show a little bit more. I make it fun. Now, and I have to, I have to ask you, Bob. Well, I'm going to ask you this question, then you can ask. Well, go ask me. Go ahead. I'm going to ask you, are you talking to a fake person? Are you, are you, because you do this all the time. Okay. You do this constantly. You've interviewed the best of the best. Do you see a facade? I will be honest. Yeah, please. I want you to completely, whether it hurt, hurts my feelings or whatever. No, no. I don't think I have a, you 100% nailed. That's why uh, I'm asking these questions. Okay. First and foremost, you're a pro. Most Thank people you. are not. You understand what's going on. You understand the situation. And a lot of times, because even people who are very famous are not pros in this area. Yeah, you I know, agree. Kind of stunned. You know, they don't know how to do it. And you know how to sell whatever. And then it to be, I've been talking to you for a better part of two hours. Yeah. I was stunned at the charisma. So as <laughs> I say, I lived in Utah. I know some of the background, not recently, but I've been to Utah recently. It's really changed a lot over the yeah, last yeah. decades. And I'm trying to figure out. And then as you as you were talking right then. <laughs> I was saying, well, maybe this is really who the guy is, and maybe the joke is on the rest of us. <laughs> you know, you grew up in this environment, et cetera. I, I don't know, but I also know that you're so good at what you do. Most people, most people are pros. You're getting, trying to get them off their spiel. A lot of mm. times they've talked to so many interviewers, they know the subject, they know the length to answer, et cetera, et cetera. So you're trying to get them to be real. I know I was talking to you know one person who did shtick didn't get real to like two thirds of the way through. You have been consistent, <laughs> and as I say, I would have to hang with you personally more to give a definitive reading. Well, maybe we should. Let's go out to dinner one of these days. Okay, I definitely would. I mean, you pick the restaurant. I'll be there. Okay. Well, you know, you're in Utah. So when you're in when you're in Vegas. Do no, I'm in L.A. a lot. I, I, okay. Do you own a home in Vegas? No, no. Do not own. Okay, final question. Was it ever Don or is it always Donnie? I did an album with uh, Holland, Dozier Holly. You remember those, that of team? Of course. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, it was one. It was Holland. Oh, that's his first name. Anyway, I did an album with him. And uh, the year would have been 19... 75 ish um and it was called donald clark osmond because i was going to change my right. image yeah whatever <laughs> it's like you know you know you can't do it that way it was never don it's always going to be donnie it's kind of like saying 
uh, change your name to Steve Wonder. It just doesn't work. Okay, so backstage, someone says, you know, they never say Don. What about this? They always say Donnie. It's always Donnie. Yeah. And and, uh, it's funny because when you say, are you really being real? Are you being fake? If somebody calls me Don, I, I know they're trying to be cool, you know. But what's really what's really fascinating is that in the last, I'd say, 10 years, maybe a little more, I don't hear the sarcastic Donnie or the, you know, putting on a facade. Hey, Don, how you doing? You know, please don't take this as a as a kind of like a self-aggrandizing statement. That's going to sound like that. I apologize. No, say it anyway. Donnie is cool. Again, it's a similar path to Tom Jones. When he came out with Kiss, right? You know that just turned everything around because the association with Prince and you don't have to be followed. And the way he sang it, I mean, he became cool again. And know? I certainly think uh, Soldier of Love played that role. The other thing is, we get older, and there's so many people who got. You know, were castigated back then, and people realized, like the Carpenters. People hated the Carpenters. Oh, they, they were know, so talented. And, you oh, know, and now, decades later, say, "Oh, there's nothing better than the Carpenters." So, isn't it funny? It's it. Our business is replete with stuff like that. I mean, Richard, genius to think right. what he was doing back in those days without auto tune, without you know, digital, all that kind of stuff. The way he was singing those harmonies, and I knew Karen very well. Amazing voice, but you couldn't say, "I like the Carpenters." I like bread. I like, you know, if a picture paints a thousand words, then why can't I I did like bread. Oh, my goodness. What a beautiful song. But as soon as you... Make It With You, which was their breakthrough, real breakthrough track, just to put it all together. Beautiful song. But, you know, you just couldn't say, I like bread, because, boy, then you were pigeonholed. And if anybody knows about pigeonholes, you're looking at him. (laughs) Well... The other thing is, I'll be very specific, talk a little out of school. I went to see Neil Diamond. He was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Played for a long time. No sense of humor about himself. Oh, really? You know? No, he's sick now, whatever. Yeah. But I bring that up, and you know, we're living in a real world, so I'll tell a real story. Okay. The other thing about you is, you've had a sense of humor. You've poked fun at yourself. Yeah. And people like that, especially in an era where we're all the same online. Nobody sure. is really above anymore. No. And I think that pays dividends. Listen, it's still working for you because you're working and a lot of people can't work. I will say one final thing and I'll let you go. Yeah. I listened to your record. What did you think? The uh, Certainly good. Start Again is a hit song. Thank you. No, really, I'm being clear. You know, maybe someone else has to sing it. Yeah. I don't know. Y- you know, that's, that's interesting. But it's a hit song. All right. When I, I, I'm, I've just got to do this for the last few minutes of what we're talking about here. Uh, the album was going to be called Who? Because I thought, what a cool title, because I like So. Right. Like, Who? It played into the whole thing. But then I started listening to Start Again a little bit more and reproduced it. And I read those, the lyrics and I thought, I got to tell you, after what we've gone through with COVID and everything, we're all starting again. What an amazing message for right now for us. I mean, just if you, if you will, please let me just read the first verse. You know, life's not always simple. You stumble and fall. 
and things don't always work out and you feel small. And when the night goes on forever and you're looking for a ray of hope, when there seems to be no answer, believe me, I know, it's never too late to start again. It's never too late to find your way. So keep your head up and keep your heart strong. And remember, you're not on your own because it's never too late to start again. Well, bada bing. But the other thing is, if you've lived long enough, those me- that message really rings true. It's so life true. does life does not work out the way you planned it whatsoever. No, no matter how hard you try, right? And but it's not only the lyrics; the changes are good. I mean, really. Thank you. That's good. Okay, Donnie. I think we've come to the end of the feeling we've known. I have thoroughly enjoyed this, buddy. I uh, really have. I did too. As I say, you know, you asked me about you. I've been trying to figure out the whole time who you are, and I loved yeah. hearing all the the stories. You've done a lot in your career, but that's as far as we're going to go today. And we're going to have that dinner one of these days, okay? Absolutely. And I'd like to see the show. I don't get to Vegas that much, but I would like to see the show. Please let me know. Be my guest, okay? And I'm going to ch- I'm gonna, I'm gonna check out that rap, yeah, too. The rap. But as it, I say, you know, everything's easy. Now you go online. I'm no Drake. Okay, I'm not Drake, but I, I do rap for 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's funny that it would be, you know, the story of your life, a la Hamilton, et cetera. In any event, Donnie, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, buddy. Until next time, this is Bob Left Sets. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.